<laughs> well, it's so good to see you all. I really, really, I'm happy to see your faces in here. Hey, I um, was peeking on you guys outside in the parking lot. Um, you, you guys don't know this, but online. So, um, and uh, this isn't even a joke. This was um, so neat to look out there and see people standing literally outside with snow coming down, worshiping, and really, really uh, neat. Um, inspired and encouraged by that. So, proud of you all. And those of you at home, really, really happy that you're joining us. Uh, ben, uh, just share with you that it's going to be communion. And so if you haven't gotten those supplies, wine, juice, bread, you know, Doritos, whatever it is you're going to use, now would be a good time. And I'm going to, we're going to implement something new, not, not for you in the room or out in the parking lot, but for you at home, one of the neat things is you can always hit pause. And I thought about this, that we're going to prompt you every now and then in the sermons to hit pause, but just to help you. Every time I'm going to tell you to pause, I'm going to like make a neat moment. So when you hit pause, I'll be on the screen really neat. So if you want to do that, I'm going to try this right now. You can hit pause and get your communion. You ready? One, two, three. Okay, there we go. So that's what I look like on your screen there. That's really neat. Glad to do that. So you did see we're happy strife, happy life. I actually just pulled a muscle on my back. So um, happy strife, happy life, plus here, here's what that means. Um, so uh, if you're familiar, actually you are familiar with all these different streaming devices now. you got NBC, you got the Peacock channel now, and you have Apple TV, you know, you have Apple TV Plus, you have Hulu, and you have Hulu Plus. So apparently when you add a plus symbol to um, the back of it, it costs you more, and it's more exciting. And so um, in, in some ways, that's kind of what we're doing, this Happy Strife, Happy Life Plus series. Uh, it's going to be more exciting, and hear me, hear me, this is the hard part. It's going to cost you more. Not, I'm not asking for your money. Really good news. Uh, no way is our church after your money. Jesus actually isn't even after your money. Bad news is he's after something a lot greater than that. He's after your heart. And so as we look at this plus series, this idea that in all these streaming channels and devices, it costs you a lot more, right? This is just the reality of this. And so living into this new reality is costly. It's costly. And so what, if you haven't been with us, let me just tell you where we've been for the last four weeks. We've been thinking through this idea of how do we get from here, this world that we're currently in, that we have some suspicion that it has to be better than this. We have some longings that aren't met here. C.S. Lewis says this way, if you find there's nothing in this world that can satisfy you, perhaps it's meant, uh, it means you're meant for a different world. So how do you get from here, this world, that we've been using the language kingdom of earth, right? That's where we all live. And get to there, this uh, uh, language we've used here is kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. They're used interchangeably in the scriptures. 92 times in the gospels, this term kingdom of heaven is here. So how do we get from here to there? And the reality is it requires you to move. It requires some effort, some actual energy on your part to do those things. And what we've learned over the last four weeks now is the problem is in order to get where you want to go, you have to leave where you want to stay. And one of the neat things about this world is it's actually strife, conflict, pain, when all of a sudden you no longer want to stay here. So you are more open, more willing, more inspired to go there. Really, really simple. Leave here, go there. Dave Ramsey says it this way. People only change when the pain of the same is greater than the pain of change. And so one of the things about strife, conflict, pain, sorrow, is it's finally a time for you to go, I don't want to live in this anymore. I don't want to live in this reality anymore. I don't want to put my hope anymore in a politician. I don't want to trust in my 401k. I don't want to put all my hope in my job or my boss or my, or my family or my savings account, right? I don't want to do that. And so now finally, 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 you're interested perhaps and going from here to there. And so um, the requirement to leave here, go there, experience all that God has for you, which I think is a lot. In fact, Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, in fact, writes two-thirds of the books of the New Testament or letters of the New Testament, uh, tells us in Ephesians, he says that God can do and will do immeasurably more than we can ever hope or imagine. So the reality is here, you got a lot of hopes and imagination and dreams that aren't really being fulfilled. God's saying, God could do more, imagine more, Paul's saying, imagine more than he, you could ever hope or imagine, but all that happens over there, right? And so we've been trying to figure out what that looks like. So what we're doing now, four weeks of that, now we're going to actually look at some real humans in, in history. We're actually going to be able to mark these folks in history today, really, really neat. 
with some architecture and archaeology that happened. The real humans who actually experience pain, sorrow, strife, and as a result of this pain, sorrow, and strife, left here and went there, and life was better for them. So hopefully you can see the application of that today. But oh, So we've been in this series for a little while, but uh, we've actually been in a larger series. This is like, no, week 30 of it. And here's the really neat thing. It's uh, called the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke is just a writer of the New Testament. He was a doctor uh, turned medicated, uh, you know, investigative journalist. So he's hired. This is all true story. This is not folklore. By this guy named Theophilus. Theophilus, we believe, was a, uh, a government official in Rome, right? And had lots of influence, lots of affluence. But something was off in his world. And he found a little dirty because one thing he would have had to have said in the first century is he would have to declare that uh, Caesar a human being with flesh like us and uh, flaws like us he would have to say out loud daily that Caesar is Lord now by saying Caesar is Lord it made his here his kingdom of earth a little bit more comfortable made his coffers a little bigger gave him more affluence more influence but something was off right and so he hires this guy. True story. This is so crazy. This guy, Luke, he pays him, like, a, you know, and to go and investigate whether or not he should say Caesar's Lord anymore, or, 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 if he should start referring to Jesus as Lord. This is, this is amazing. This guy hires this guy. And this guy spent years, if not a decade, investigating all the stuff and putting together. He reads all the documents. He goes and interviews all the people. He goes and listens to all the local teachers and pastors talking about it. And he puts together an orderly, orderly account. And he writes to this guy, also to us, saying, I write these things so that you may have certainty, really, really important, of the things you've been taught about this guy, right? And so what we're learning is, um, in order to leave here, go there, you need two things, two things. Clarity and courage and the more clarity you have the less courage you need and so really neat the gospel of luke this guy's going let me give you some clarity about this guy so that then you could finally have the courage to leave over there come into the kingdom of heaven and so that's what we're doing here's the neat thing we've been we're going to start chapter seven today we've literally worked verse by verse so we've gotten through six chapters so far really really good taking about half a year uh, there's 24 chapters in the book of uh, the Gospel of Luke, so you can, you know, divide, multiply, and come to some kind of conclusion that we're probably here for at least 18 more months, so slowly and surely, but going to enjoy the stroll together. And so we're going to, again, leave there, leave here, go there, and we're trying to figure out how to do this. Just to remind you from last week, we saw Jesus kind of land the plane on this big talk that he goes, if you had faith in me, if you believed that I was God's son, and that I was the Messiah. If you believe those things, this is what your life would look like over there. And what we learned last week is there's a couple of really important things that we place way too much emphasis and energy on understanding. But what we see in the scriptures is obedience is always more important than understanding. In fact, because God tells us his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. A lot of times understanding the kingdom of God is really, really hard for us and really, really confusing. And so here's what I would argue. Uh, understanding can wait. Obedience can't. So obedience over, uh, over understanding and the way that Jesus helps us understand this, he says, why do you call me Lord and continue to say no to the things that I'm saying? In other words, if you actually believe these things, if you believe that I'm actually the Messiah, if you believe that I'm actually the Christ, if you believe I'm actually God in the flesh, if you believe those things and you say out loud that I'm Lord, meaning boss, then this word can never come out of your mouth towards me, right? So it's one of two options. Either you say Lord, and there's no option for no, or you say no, and guess what? Jesus isn't your Lord. And so as we sort through this, we're going, well, that's really, really hard. That's really, really hard. How do I do that? That's so difficult. And that's where I argued last week. Hey, when you say Lord, what you're really saying is, oh, you're cutting off onto on. You are flipping the switch and going, it's all your kingdom. How do I live in this? How do I do those things? And so today we're going to figure that out. And here is the big idea today each and every week. And we're going to be looking at a very important word here, faith. And what we're going to learn today, really, really going to be worth your time. Is that, let me read it to you. Make sure you get it. Make sure you understand it. Faith, 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 faith is the, aha, I got this for you. The key. The key. Faith, 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 faith. You're going, I don't know that word. That's good. We're going to spend four weeks talking about it. Faith. And as we sort through how to live in the kingdom of heaven, faith, 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 faith. 
is the key. Figuratively, literally, faith is the key that grants us access into all that you could ever dream about. And so we're going to look at, try to figure out how do we have faith? What does faith look like? What does it mean? And so for four weeks, each and every week, we're going to talk about faith. Most important uh, topic that you can understand. In fact, the Bible tells us this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Really, really important word. And here's what it says. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. And so something about this over the next four weeks as we look at some people's real lives doing this in the middle of their pain and strife and sorrow, we're going to see what faith looks like and we're going to get some opportunities to do it. Faith is not believing. Faith is an action word. And here's kind of my own working definition if this is helpful for you. I would say this. Faith is not believing. Faith is obeying. Right? Obeying even when your senses tell you otherwise. Faith is obeying even when your senses tell you otherwise. So we're going to see how that happens today. Literally, we're going to see this in uh, Luke chapter 7. We're going to see a real human who we know actually exists in history. So amazing. We're going to see what it looks like for him to leave here and go there. And the key, the key, literal key, is faith that gets him there. And the moment that sets this up is actually some pain in sorrow, and he's going to be this guy. He's going to be a Roman centurion. I'll introduce you to him a little bit more as we read, but here we go. Here's our uh, key person today. Haha, <laughs> key. That's funny. Okay, here goes. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Um, if you're brand new with us or join us online, I'm reading from what's called the English Standard Version. There's lots of different um, translations, and some of them are like translated thought for thought or sentence for sentence, and then there's some that are, tr- some that are translated word for word. English Standard Version happens to be a word-for-word translation. And because Luke is very intentional with every single one of his words, and Luke's really intentional even with grammar, uh, this is kind of the one we've been using each and every week. So English Standard Version, that's what I'm reading from. That's what will be on the screens if you want to uh, look that up on uh, Bible.com or whatever and join us. You can do that as well. But here goes Luke chapter 7, verse 1. Here's what it says. After he, that's Jesus, had finished saying... I finished all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, meaning he's teaching. This is the Sermon on the Plains. A lot of people are listening. After he finished that, that's whoever hears these words and puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Remember, that was last week. And after uh, hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, uh, Capernaum is a little fishing village. There's not a lot of people that live there. Honestly, the whole town is less than the acreage on this property. It's actually probably the size of the same footprint of our, like, developed space, the parking lot, and the building. Very small, probably 15, 20 families total. They all live in this kind of, like, compound where they share walls. All the houses are about five or 600 square feet. So many of these people's houses are smaller than your master bedroom. Okay? And so all these folks, they're living there. And so what happens is Jesus is from a town called Nazareth. But early on, uh, Jesus uh, is teaching there. And they kind of all turn their back on him. And he's, it literally says he is a, was amazed at their lack of faith. Amazed at their lack of faith. And so Nazareth no longer is the headquarters, you know, uh, for, for Jesus' mission. He moves like, you know, Amazon, moving from Seattle to D.C., whatever those things are. Jesus is going to move his headquarters from, uh, from Nazareth to a little town called Capernaum, a little fishing village. Uh, a lot of his first followers, Matt, uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, probably Nathaniel and Philip, they're all from this little bitty town. And so he's moving his headquarters there. And so what you want to see for about the first two, two and a half years of Jesus' ministry, this is headquarters. And then about six months before he's going to get arrested, tried, murdered, all the things, he's going to kind of move the headquarters to a little town called Bethany outside of Jerusalem. So right now he's in Capernaum, little bitty podunk area. Uh, and so most of these guys here that are with him are guys who have never experienced Jerusalem, never seen the big city. Uh, and so these are, uh, uh, these first followers are all mostly fishermen, which is interesting because fishermen deal with fish that uh, that die. If you deal with dead things as a Jew, you don't actually get to participate in the life of the synagogue. So Jesus is here with some followers who are kind of outcasts, and we find him. So Jesus is going back, setting up base. Here he is in Capernaum, and this is what it says. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. So all of a sudden, Jesus is going to give us this person. This is the person we're going to focus on. This is the centurion, and the centurion, that word literally means leader of a hundred. 
So this is a Roman soldier who's the captain of a hundred men. We don't know if he's a captain of a hundred battalions or a hundred men, but, you know, has a significant level of leadership, and he is in Capernaum. He would have been known in Capernaum. He, uh, in fact, he was loved in Capernaum, which is interesting because most people don't love the Roman officials. So this guy is both the soldier, the leader, the captain, the police. I mean, there's all those things, and he is in Capernaum. And what it tells us here is that he's really sad because um, someone he highly valued, a servant, some of the language uh, in, the, in the scriptures, been on the translation, is slave. So this is a guy that a lot of people with wealth and affluence would have mistreated, would have leveraged their power over for their pleasure, right? And uh, this guy is sad. So what we see in this moment is we're going to see this moment of strife and pain, and the pain is someone he really cares about isn't doing well. And someone he really cares about is... Um, to a point that he can't fix the problem for them. And so it just makes sense before we really, really jump on into this that we would um, remember that these scriptures are not, um, they're both timeless and timely, meaning timely. When Luke wrote them, he was writing them very specifically to Theophilus so that he could have confidence and certainty in who Jesus is. But they're also timeless, meaning the very same thing, the very same principles, the very same writings that went to the first century Theophilus and first century uh, people, the Christians, Jews, Gentiles, right? The very same thing. God is just as specific, just as aware, just as concerned, just as intentional that these words are very specific to you and I as well, meaning God, hear me. God, you might not believe this yet, but God knew that you would sit today on February 7th and learn about this guy. Like that intentional that capable, that sovereign, that he knew that these words would ju be just as important, just as impactful, just as beneficial to you today as they were 2,000 years ago to Theophilus. So it just makes sense if that's the case. Then we go, okay, uh, Theophilus has someone he loves deeply, cares about deeply. So maybe it would make sense that you'd think about that. Like I got some people that I know that I love deeply, dealing with cancer, that's one of them, and it just seems like there is no path forward, right? Know some folks who are just really, really struggling in their marriage, and it seems like there is no path forward. I know some folks really, really dealing with addiction, and it just seems like there is no hope. And This guy, he loves his person, so you let's put some names in our head, put some faces in our head, someone that he loved so much that he wanted good for them. In fact, means is he was sitting here knowing this can't be it there is no hope does this guy just die like this is all there is to the world and so he has deep sorrow love for this servant so what's he going to do he's going to go okay i can't fix it but perhaps if there is a guy over there who can do imagining more than i can ever hope or imagine maybe we should investigate and bring this guy talk to this guy about the servant to so this centurion loves this person cares for this person uh wants help for this person so here's jesus is in capernaum so what does he do here's what it says uh verse three when the centurion heard about jesus okay heard about jesus he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and <laughs> heal his servant. Just kind of, kind of an aside. I'm from the South, and so we don't, we don't do good with uh, pronunciation. Like, for example, I will, for the rest of my life, say the number 10. And you're like, what's 10? Like aluminum foil, tin foil? No, no, it's 10. But I don't even, when I say 10 and you say 10 or whatever it is, they sound exactly the same to me. Another one that I really struggle with is the word um, uh, heal, and, and from where, I, where I'm from, it's heal, right? It's heal, you know, like God heal him. And so like literally over and over again over this week, like this is, I mean, I haven't even thought about the material, didn't investigate. I just downloaded someone else's sermon and memorized it, right? That's, uh, I'm, that's a joke. But I have worked a long, long time on this word heal, heal. So I'm working really hard. Healer, right? And so uh, we're going to sing a song at the end of today saying, Jesus, I believe you're my healer, right? And so he goes here, uh, comes to him to and heal. I think that's right. I hope it's right. Uh, if not, 
you, you, you got it. His servant. So what happens is this guy goes, hey, I hear that Jesus, I'm in the middle of here, things are going to, but I hear that there is a guy who can do things that are far beyond whatever I can hope or imagine and bring, do something miraculous that would heal my servant my friend. And so really quick, what you got to remember is whenever you see miracles in the scriptures, this isn't just so Jesus can show off. Every time what it really is, you can see it this way, is like a window into the way that things are going to be. So every time there's a miracle in the scriptures, what Jesus is doing is going, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is how it's going to be for all eternity. And so this guy goes, people shouldn't be sick. People shouldn't be on their deathbeds dying. And maybe Jesus can heal him. And Jesus goes, yep, I'm capable so that you and I can see that in the kingdom of heaven, over there, there's no pain, no sorrow, no death. None of those things. And so what this guy's going to do is he's going to uh, reach out to some elders, okay? So he's going, and he's going to reach out to some Jewish elders, okay? There they are right there. These are religious leaders. They would have been over the synagogue in Capernaum. So there'd be this synagogue there, and um, they would be leaders of this. So they'd be the Jews uh, helping people obey the Torah, telling them to follow the rules, making sure that people gave their temple and synagogue taxes, did all those things, made sure that they offered the right sacrifices. So these were guys with a lot of control. And in some ways, these were the guys who had the key to the synagogue and for a first century uh, Jews that they understood, whoever had the keys to the synagogue had the keys to... God, right? And so this guy, centurion goes, I got to get to Jesus, but I don't know Jesus, so let me go to the religious people to go get to Jesus, which is, I mean, it's not that abnormal. Like, I, I go to the 7-Eleven down the road, I, I, you know, six, eight, ten times a day, something like that, uh, um, because um, I got to stay hydrated somehow, and they just have this fountain there that hydrates me well with diet mountain dew and you're like that's not good for you i'm like it's diet of course it's good for me right and so but what happens a lot i've gotten to know these people really well really they're they are my friends and buddies and uh most of them aren't spiritual they're not religious but if something comes up in their life they'll say hey will you pray about i'm like you know you can do that too but in our world right they they see me as this religious leader which i can't stand the word religious and and i'll explain to you why in just a second like so dangerous there but they see me as someone because i'm religious that has access to God that they don't have, which is not what Jesus came to do. He came to give us all access, give all the key, and you'll hear more about that. But they will go to me and go, hey, would you talk to God? Like somehow God hears me better than he hears you. It's not true, but this is kind of understanding. And so this uh, centurion goes, okay, I don't know a lot about God, but I hear that God, you know, shows up at the temple and shows up at these synagogues for these people with these elders that dress really fancy and offer lots of sacrifices. So I'm going to go to them so that maybe they can, as kind of the intermediary, get connected to Jesus. So he goes to them, right? And here's what it says, asking him to come and heal his servant. So he sends the elders to Jesus. Now watch this. And when they came to Jesus, so now the elders are going to go to Jesus, and they care about this guy. Watch what happens. They pleaded with him earnestly, meaning they, I mean, this is sincere. This is sincere. Messed up, but sincere. Saying, watch this. He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, that's the nation of Israel, even though he's a Roman centurion. um, And he is the one who built us our synagogue okay let me uh, let me go easy route first let me talk about the synagogue so this is so amazing to me that this is a guy who literally built this synagogue we don't know if he funded it or you know and built it or just one or the other but we know that the synagogue the place that these jews worship every single sabbath he had his like he helped build this is so amazing to me because actually let me show you the picture this is a picture of that synagogue so you see the two different pieces you got two different things going on you got the, the kind of the darker piece and the lighter piece one capernaum in the fourth century uh, they rebuilt the synagogue on top of the darker piece right because it gets excavated and they build it and the, you know they've been excavating the ground because that's just all dirt now and they, so they pulled it back but that underneath was the original synagogue so 2,000 years ago, all that dark that you see there, that was the original synagogue built in Capernaum. Still there, still that way today. And what the scriptures tell us is this guy, this Roman centurion, is the one who put those things up. You see those, those rocks and those stones? This man that we're learning about. 
who we'll meet one day, hopefully. He helped put those uh, together. Kenny, can you pull that down now? Thank you. So that is the synagogue. So they're going, hey, this guy's not a Jew. Built the synagogue. That's a big deal. You and I haven't built synagogues. He is worthy. The NIV translates it this way. He deserves it. In other words, hey, he's a good guy. He's nice. He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. In other words, hey, Jesus, he has done all the right stuff. That word worthy means like a heavy weight, meaning he is valuable enough to be able to get in over here. Right? No, no, he, if anyone has a key, he has the key. Why? Because he built the synagogue. Why? Because he loves our nation. In other words, he's really good to people. Look, he's even trying to take care of his servant. Look, his performance has made it possible for him to enter the kingdom of God. You see how broken this is? These religious leaders are literally telling the God of the universe who came to die for us because we could not pay the access fee to get back to heaven because the access fee was a perfect life. And so these Jews are going to go to Jesus and it says earnestly, they really mean well, but he says, hey, if anyone, if anyone's good, if anyone's God, I mean, this is like Mother Teresa. They, this person, they deserve access to this. He deserves it, which is really overwhelming because then all of a sudden we think the only way we can access God and the way that they taught this 2,000 years ago and many places, even in the Christian church, still teach it today that somehow our behavior, our behavior is what gets us access to God. Now, when Paul writes in Romans, he says that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another translation of that is he's not offended of the gospel because the gospel is actually really offensive. The gospel, what Jesus came to do, what it tells us is that none of us, because we are so broken and dirty and incompetent and incapable, none of us are worthy on our own merit to get back to God. Which really, really bad news and good news at the same time, right? So you are far worse than you, than anyone knows, okay? But you are far more loved than you know. Got it? And so this guy, these, these religious guys go and they try to explain to Jesus based on their religion that this guy is a guy who qualifies for, you know, VIP access into the kingdom. So that's their opinion of this guy. You know, I told you, you're going to see the moment where faith is activating this guy. And so they go and tell him that he is worthy. Now watch what happens next. And Jesus went with them. Okay, so they come and make this argument. Jesus promise you isn't buying the argument, but for some reason he decides to go, so let's see what he's up to. And when he was not far from the house, so he went with them, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, remember, Lord, there's the word, boss, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy, not deserving to have you come under my roof. So this guy actually, you know, he kind of has this change of mind. He goes, hey, elders, will you go talk to uh, Jesus so that my servant can be healed? And then all of a sudden, they, he probably gets word that Jesus is coming. He goes, oh, no, oh, no, no. Whoa, whoa, Jesus, I'm over here in this brokenness, and I am flawed. Boy, does my spouse know. Boy, do my kids know. There's all sorts of brokenness in me. There is no way that Jesus over there should ever give me access. So he actually goes and comes to a really important conclusion. While the elders tell Jesus that he's worthy, what he does is he comes to the conclusion that he's not. That he's not deserving. That he's really broken. And this is really good news for us. Because what we're going to see here is this guy comes to the conclusion that he's not deserving of the kingdom on his own merit, which is true. But we're going to see him get granted access to it. In that first acknowledgement, so the first step in all this stuff, the first step of leaving here, going there, is actually just admitting you don't deserve to go there. And that's one of the great, opportun- great things about strife and pain and sorrow. Particularly if um, your pain, strife, and sorrow is because of your own behavior. Right? If it's self-inflicted. If it's self-inflicted, you go, no, God would never let me do this. I, I don't deserve it, whatever. That is actually the very first step in all this admitting that you don't deserve what God wants to offer you. That's why it's called grace, meaning it's a gift that is unmerited, right? You don't deserve it. It's a gift you don't deserve. And so this guy goes, no, 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 no. I would love to see my servant healed, but I have no right to talk to the God of the universe. Lord, 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 you, you, there's no way that you should come into my house. It is so broken. It's so dirty. You're so perfect and holy. I don't want to even have you have to deal with my muck and mess and mire, right? 
And so he sends word. And watch what he says. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you. Say, so, hey, Hannah, the reason I come to you is because I, I have no rights. I don't presume to come to you. But, that's so weird. Say the word and let my servant be healed. So complicated. And it's just like, you know, the stumbling and figuring out faith. Because he's going, I, no, no, you don't do this, but you can, will you? No, no, God, I don't deserve it, but will you? Right? This is like this, this weird thing of going, God, I don't really deserve it, but boy, would I love to see it, right? And he says, but if you just say the word, say the word, that word there is the word uh, logos, which shows up in the scriptures in Gospel of John. In the beginning, what's the word? And the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word made his dwelling among us. So this is, this is this idea that God, in the Old Testament, it says, he said, let there be light, and there was light, right? He spoke things in existence. So this centurion is going, you know, it's so crazy. In your kingdom, it's just your words. So say the word, say the word, and my servant would be healed. That word there literally means to be made perfectly whole. Perfectly whole. Now he gives the explanation for why, why he does this. He says in verse 8, For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, he goes, look, I also have some authority, and I sit underneath Roman authority. So all I know is that the people underneath me call me Lord and boss. And whatever ever I tell them, guess what they don't do? They don't say no. They don't say no. Like, they never say no. Whatever I say, they do. Whatever I say, they do. Why? Because I am under authority, and they're under my authority. So I understand this is positional. That's what he's saying. I understand that there is real authority, and there is real access. In other words, I understand that there is someone who has access to over there. And that someone... The Roman has get granted me access to over there as well. Meaning, what I offer to people, they follow. So he's going, hey, I get this, I get this, I get this. Because whatever I say, the people do, because they understand I'm the one with the authority. He goes, here's here, this is so interesting. He says, and you're the one with authority. You're the one with authority. You're the one who has authority from God. No, this is so messed up, and I'll come back to it in just a second. He's missing it here just a little bit. He doesn't understand that, he understands that he's under authority. He doesn't understand that his words are the authority yet, right? But he goes, look, look, I get it. I get it. I get it. You're the one who has access to the kingdom of God. You are God's, you are God's ambassador here. You're the one with his authority. So look, look, look. I know when I tell someone to do it, it just gets done. So if you tell the whole world that's underneath your authority to bring healing to the servant, it will happen because you have all the authority. You have all the authority. I don't understand it all. I can't quite make sense of it. But I understand that when I say something, they do it. So if you and I have, you know, authority within this Roman Empire, you have authority of all of the earth. So whatever you say, it can happen. So please, please, just say the word. And watch what happens. Verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said this, I tell you, not even in Israel, that's all the religious folks, that's all like the God, like the people that were perceived as godly, all the greatest religious folks in the kingdom ever, right? Not even in Israel have I found such, see the word? Faith. So we're going to see this man be healed, the servant, as a result of this guy's faith. And he says something so, so profound. That word there, he was amazed at his faith or marveled at his faith. That word, in terms of Jesus, only shows up twice. Mark chapter 6, we get this where Jesus, I just told you about it earlier, where Jesus was amazed at the people in Nazareth's lack of faith. And here, this is, this is so amazing. This guy, he doesn't get it all right, right? But he looks at him and he marvels at his faith as someone who understands how the kingdom of heaven works. He marvels at a guy who's over here going, over there, you have all the authority and all the power. Like, whatever you decide can and will happen. And so Jesus looks, makes a declaration to all the followers. That is what it looks like. That's what faith is. You see, this is faith. Faith is uh, obeying even when your senses tell you otherwise, right? So he's going to make the statement that this idea of authority is something that goes, nope, nope, that's it. That's it. That's faith. And he marvels and is amazed at his faith. So 
I'm not going to get all the way around the barn today. This is going to take us three more weeks to continue to look at people, some really amazing people, from John the Baptist to prostitutes to all sorts of people in all sorts of different, you know, stages of life who are going to uh, access the kingdom of heaven through their faith. So I'm not going to get all the way around the barn today, but it does make sense, at least today for all of us, that we get a better understanding of what this faith is. So Jesus says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So what is faith? Right? It's important. If this, is, if this is the key to the kingdom of heaven, which is what I want for you, what, what is it? What is it? I told you that working definition is obeying even when your senses tell you otherwise. So this guy goes, it doesn't make sense that he could just speak something and it would bring healing. But you, Jesus, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust you, right? And so uh, here's the first thing I would just say about faith. Really important that you understand this. You got to see where faith is initiated. And I promise you, I, this will make more sense as we work through it. You see where the faith is initiated? See where faith is initiated. It doesn't initiate with the religious people. It actually doesn't even uh, initiate with the centurion. What's so amazing here is that literally it says Jesus went to him. Right? Hasn't accessed his faith yet. This is that moment where things are about to change. Right? He's thinking that this guy can do it. And then all of a sudden Jesus is coming to him and goes, oh my goodness, I am not worthy. That initiation actually doesn't start with the Roman centurion. That awareness doesn't start with the Roman centurion. Faith always, real faith always is initiated by Jesus, which you go, okay, that makes sense, but how do I know if he's initiating it? And that's get, get the second point. This is really, really, really important. I got to hang out with some high schoolers this week. Uh, just quickly, they were talking about doubt, and there's like a panel of much smarter people than I kind of responding to just how, how, how doubt works, right? And one of the big questions that comes up all the time, and I know you feel it, but I feel it is, well, I would obey God if I actually knew what he said, right? Like, so much of, if, if I'm telling you, faith is accessing the kingdom of heaven, right? Then faith is the key, right? To get in there. The problem is you would do that, but your hesitancy is you're not confident that you actually know what Jesus says. And, you know, the trite answer is, well, read his word and just do what it says. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but it's a lot more nuanced than that, right? So it doesn't tell me clearly in here whether or not I should sell my house or quit my job or ask that person to marry me right, or study that as my major. It's a lot more complicated. So when, when pastors go, just read God's word and do what it says, it's like, well, I'd, I'd like to have a little bit more feet to that, right? So let me just offer you something really, really, really important, okay? This guy, this centurion, actually gets it wrong. This guy doesn't realize that Jesus is God yet, probably. He realizes that he has access to God. He's this messenger from God, that he's under God's authority. But he references that he has access to, you know, his Roman officials that gives him authority. So he knows that he has access to God, but he hasn't probably come to the conclusion yet that he is God. And yet, Jesus still heals his servant. You'll see it in verse 10. Right? And so, you have to, first thing is, it doesn't mean you have to have it all right. In fact, it has very little, faith has very little to do with actually knowing perfectly what you should do. But you go, no, I don't understand that. I know it's so complicated. No one tells you this. I, Pastor, they want you to know perfectly, boy, but I don't know anything perfectly. So, if faith isn't about knowing perfectly, then what is it? Okay. Uh, Jesus just finished up what's called the Sermon on the Plains. We finished it up last week. That's where, here's the word of mine, and does them. So we know there's something that has to be activated. Where in kind of the parallel talk in his greatest hits, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Sermon on the Mount, there is a key to all this, right? So at the very beginning, I told you a couple weeks back, four or five weeks back, we looked at this blessed are the Beatitudes, right? And the word blessed just means happy. Happy are so many different people depending on it. It says, blessed are those who are in pain or sorrow for they'll be comforted. All these different things. And one thing it says in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something so profound. When he's talking about what it looks like, not here, but over there. And hear me, hear me. This is so important. He says this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Matthew 5, 8. For they will see the kingdom of God. Blessed, happy are the pure in heart. This is so important. I can't stress this enough. That when it, it doesn't say those who are smartest, those who know the best, those who are the most courageous, those with the best experience, those who get it right, those who hear clearly are going to see God. Who does it tell us sees God? Those with a pure heart. Here's what's so important about this. It doesn't even matter if you get it right. It doesn't matter if you go to the right place, sell the right house, you know, leave the job, keep the job. It has more to do, not with your understanding, but your obeying. And so Jesus goes, you really want to know 
whether or not you can activate your faith in this. That's really, really easy. Look at your heart. What's your motivation? Is it fear of missing out? Is it because you want a blessing? Is it because you want God to be proud of you? Or is it just that you want to please God? Here's the good news. Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure heart. Why? They'll see God. Well, where do you think they'll see God? In his kingdom. Blessed are the pure in heart. So the first thing we got to see is it, act, it starts with Jesus. Second, it has, little, has less to do with clarity on making sure you know what's right and more to do with motivation. Couldn't, can you have a pure heart? Can your only desire in this just be to please him? Right? And go, God, I don't even know if this is the next right step, but the only reason I'm going to take this step is because I believe you want me to take this step. The only reason is because I want to trust you in that. So the second part of faith is blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God. So has, Jesus starts it. Second has less to do with your understanding, right? Less understanding, more obedience, more obedience. And then third, really, really important here. Faith is more about the object you place it in than it is about your own certainty. Let me give you an example. Let's say two people are hiking. So they're just hiking, right? And they get to, they're looking at something, and they hike on some kind of part. Maybe it's snowing, I don't know. And they're walking, and they think it's like nice firm ground, but it's not. It's just snow and ice, and as they walk on it, they fall down, right? And they're, they're hanging on this, like they're in this little bitty edge of the cliff, and they're just kind of standing there. And there are two routes to go back up, right? On one side, there looks to be a really good rock to place that they can step on. And on the other side, there looks to be another rock. These two guys, they're there, and they're going, oh, we want to be safe. Uh, what do we do? And one guy is so confident that the right path is this rock over here, right? So confident that if he just steps over here, that he's going to be, it's going to be the path back to, you know, safety and security. The other guy's like, I think it's the other way, but I'm only like 60% sure. One guy's like, no, it's 100%. I'm so positive. He's like, ah, I don't think that's the right, but I'm only like just kind of sure. I'm not real sure. 50%, maybe even 40%. I don't think that's the way. It seems like this way. So the guy that 100% jumps onto the rock, and it breaks off, and he falls and dies. Had 100% certainty, and the rock didn't hold him. The other guy, with very little certainty, goes and he puts his, all of his weight on the rock, and goes, and the rock holds him. It's really simple. Which one of them succeeded? Which one of them lived? The one with 100% certainty, or the one with 50% certainty? The one with 50% certainty, Why? Because it had less to do with his confidence and more to do with where he placed his faith. So when you see the centurion, a couple things. One, it activates what Jesus faith does. Two, it is, it's okay if you get it wrong because it's more about blessed are the pure in heart for those who see God. And three, it has less to do with your confidence and more to do with the object that you're placing your confidence in, right? So this whole activation of faith, this key, is through the kingdom. So here's what happens, just so you know, verse 10. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. That means perfect wholeness. So this guy kind of stumbles through it. Come, Jesus. No, don't come, Jesus. I'm not sure, Jesus. Wait, wait, you're the one with authority. No, you're the one who's under authority. No, he's the one with authority, right? But if you just say the word, it'll happen. Maybe it's because you can say abracad Yahweh. You know, I don't know how it works, but I believe you're the one with the authority. So I'm going to kind of bumble and stumble through it, and I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to go, God, you do it. And what does Jesus do? He heals a servant. Why? Because blessed are the pure in heart. This guy had pure motivation. He just looked at the world and goes, it's not supposed to be this way. It's just not supposed to be this way. There's not supposed to be brokenness and pain. My servant uh, longed to be whole and healthy, and I can't fix that. But I know the one who can, or at least I think I know the one who can. So he sends his elders. Jesus comes. He kind of begins that thing, and this guy goes, I think it's you. I know it's you. What if it's you? But all you do is say the words, and Jesus says the words, and here we are. So faith is obeying even when your senses tell you otherwise. So Jesus initiates it. Two, you don't have to be 100% certain because it's less about the certainty and more about the object that you place your faith in, Jesus. And three, it's actually more about your purity of your heart and your desire to serve him and trust him than anything else. So I told you it's a key. I think that's helpful, right? But I think there's actually probably one more analogy that I think, uh, or metaphor, that I think uh, helps more. Or simile, because I won't use the word like, Okay. It's not just a key. Sorry, I wrapped this myself. It's like a gift. 
It's like a gift, right? Remember, let's think about it this way. Jesus is the initiator. So when we think about faith, how do we begin that relationship with faith? What do we do? Access the kingdom. It's a lot like a gift. So the initiator of the faith is Jesus. And what the scripture says is the wages of our sin is death, meaning over here you will die. But the gift of God, Romans tells us this, is eternal life through Jesus. And by the way, that's not something you get access later. It's something that you get to start now, right? So it is a gift. And so faith is a gift. Even if you're only like 40, 50% certain, right? Because it's not less about your certainty, more about Jesus' competency, right? So he has this gift for you, right? And all you want to do is go, God, if that's for me, I just, I want to please you. I think I do anyway. And so what do we know about a gift? can't earn it in fact the minute you start declaring you deserve the gift and that entitlement nobody wants to give you a gift and it negates it being a gift the other thing is if it's a gift and someone offers you and you're like hey let me give you five dollars for that you minimize the value of the gift and make it not a gift either so what we know about a gift is it's not based on merit what else do we know about a gift it's only good if you open it Right? If it just sits like this, you go, man, I love that thing. It's so pretty. And it just sits on your dresser or on your coffee table. It's not even something you can actually use. So when we think about faith being a key that accesses the doorway into the kingdom of heaven, right? Another one is a gift. And so it initiates with Jesus. It initiates with Jesus. But the solution for it is you have to open it. And the only reason you'd be willing to open it is if you believe that God is actually a good gift giver. Now, here's the beautiful thing about faith. It's not like it's just this one gift, one time. It's like God keeps giving gifts, but we get to access the kingdom more. And here, this, this I know for sure. They're cumulative. The gifts keep getting better. I promise you, the gifts keep getting better. The more you start activating this and opening it, but that starts with every single time. You have to start and open it. You go, well, can I trust that the gifts are good? That is the very first step in faith is you deciding that you believe God is a good gift giver. So, what you have to do from that point, faith, is you start to open it, right? So faith is opening a gift. And you go, well, can I trust him? Can I trust him? Is it possible to trust him? And so we're going to start with opening. Okay. And you're going, let's see what this is. Oh, a loaf of bread. That's just what I want, right? It's like your grandmother giving you socks on your birthday or Christmas. Thanks a lot, Grandma. Right? What? I don't understand. And keep opening it, and you're like, a plate? A <laughs> New London Presbyterian Church 2001 commemorative plate, right? A plate? Chalice? Oh, finally. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? Five o'clock. It's actually grape juice. And what's so amazing about the very first gift that Jesus really offers us is he's telling us in John chapter 14, he's preparing us to go, hey, here's where we all exist. We're all over here. And here's the thing. I'm going over there. I'm going to go be back with my father in his kingdom. I'm going over there. And they go, no, 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 you can't. You can't. You can't go, right? Because we want to go with you. And if you go over there, you're going to leave us over here. And he goes, hey, hey, John chapter 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, but also believe also in me because I'm God. And he tells them, in my father's house are many, many rooms. And if it weren't so, I wouldn't tell you this, right? And I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And he's going, well, how do we get there? We don't know. We don't know, Thomas. He goes, I don't know. I don't know. So much doubt. And Jesus goes, yes, you do. We just sang it. Looks at him and goes, Thomas, hey, disciples, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father. No one lives in his kingdom except through me. And they're like, I don't understand. What do you mean through me? And then in the same kind of hanging out time, Jesus is going to start eating a meal with them. And he's getting in the meal. He takes some bread and he breaks it and he says hey guys you're not going to get this right now but hear me it's obeying even when your senses tell you otherwise it's not going to make a lot of sense but there's going to come a time when my body is going to be given for you wages of sin is death and then he offers it and he goes hey hey take this eat this and eat the bread and then a little while later he 
takes the wine and he pours it in the cup and he goes, guys, you're not going to understand this and this is going to seem so far-fetched and you're going, this my senses, this is so weird. He's going to offer him the wine. He's going to say, hey, see this? This represents my blood literally shed for you, meaning there was a real price to pay for the access to the kingdom and the price was my body and my blood. Not your body, not your blood. And the only way you get access over there is if you put your faith over here. So the very first gift, the initiation of this faith, is actually choosing to believe that God gave you a gift in his son Jesus. Because we didn't deserve salvation. We didn't deserve access to the kingdom. But he granted it through faith. Because by faith you get it. So you have to actually see these things and trust these things. And that is the first gift. And every morning you get to wake up and go, God, what is it you're showing me? What is it you're trying to give me? Okay, okay, I don't understand it fully, but I'm just going to open it, and I might get it wrong, but boy, do I want my heart to be pure. God, I don't know if that's what it is. Do you really want me to walk across the street and talk to my neighbor? I don't know, but God, I, I think that's what it is. I might be wrong, but boy, I just want to please you with this. God, I don't know if I should submit my letter of resignation. I can miss it, but oh, man, it certainly seems like this right thing, and I just want to please you with this. God, I don't know if it's time to adopt or foster a child. I'm not real sure, but oh, it seems like it could be the right thing, and I just want to please you with it right into the gifts that God keeps giving us with these callings where we walk into the unknown and every single time we open it and just experience the joy but you have to open it and so kind of just to initiate that for us today so grateful that we do this each month it just makes sense that we would begin with the greatest gift he gives us which is himself his own body his own blood broken and shed for us so that we could experience him forever so maybe you've done this a hundred times. Maybe this is the very first time. But when you came in, you were given a little bitty cup. Now it'll be a really, really great time to grab it. And if you, you have to be real careful. If you take that little top and just peel it off a little slightly and get to the top. And today, we actually get to receive this gift. And here's the beauty of this. As we receive this gift, what you are receiving is Jesus' blood, Jesus' body poured out for you to grant you access here. So as we do this, as a community, we are living and experiencing right now the kingdom of heaven. And you go, well, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do this. Can I do this? I didn't pray the prayer. Like, I'm not, I'm not a Presbyterian. No, 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 no. This is available to you if, if, if. If you believe this. Or if you want to believe it. If you really want to go, God, I, I want to experience you in this way. I believe this is a gift. I've never opened it before, but I'm going to try this. And so, Jesus, from the night he was betrayed, let me read it to you in 1 Corinthians. It says this. Uh, this is my, I said this to his disciples. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And here's a really beautiful thing. That word remembrance literally is the opposite of amnesia. That's what the word means, the opposite, anamnesia, right? It's the opposite meaning. Could you place this on your mind to remember this? So would you take Jesus' body with me? In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, meaning this cup is what grants access to the kingdom of heaven. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me, would you receive the gift of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood? Would you join me? I'm going to conclude with this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what's going to happen is the band's going to come up here and lead us in a song, and it's so beautiful. Because this whole song, which would just be so helpful for us for this, this series. Again, didn't get all the way around the barn today, but we're going to start. This whole idea is all about leaving here and experiencing going there, the kingdom of heaven. That's what it is, the kingdom of heaven. And so neat is we're going to sing this word, Jesus, I believe you're my healer, meaning the one who makes me whole. And it's just so crazy. Throughout the scriptures, the word for healer and the word for savior are exactly the same. So what we're saying is, Jesus, I believe, I believe through your body and your blood, you have granted access to the kingdom of heaven. I believe today I get to experience that. Not because I deserve it, because boy, do I not. 
but because you are my savior. You are my healer. You are the key to the kingdom of heaven. And so, I challenge you to sing these words together. Make this declaration that Jesus is our healer. He's our savior. It's the one we can put all of our hope and trust in. So would you lead us as we sing?
Uh, so if you're online with us out in the parking lot right here, just want to offer something to you, and then I want to pray a blessing over you. Um, communion's an interesting thing where we get to process and do some introspection, ask the Lord to do some things in us, reveal some stuff, and sometimes that's hard in this environment to go, hey, take the, you know, eat the bread, drink the juice, got to sing the song, get on out of here. And so what's about to happen in here on the parking lot online, um, we're going to actually play another song. Right? So after we finish all this up, it's a song that says, God, you're so good. And there's this blessing you get to declare over yourself that you're blessed and you are healed and you're whole and you are saved in Jesus' name. No, there's no expectation you sit in here. In fact, I don't expect that many of you will. Uh, but it's just an offering. Or if you want to continue for just a few minutes online or on the parking lot, we're just going to kind of as the outro, there's going to be the song that our band is going to play up on, on video just over you. And you're welcome just to sit and be still. And so I just would say, would you allow this space to stay a sanctuary for some folks? You're welcome to chat and connect. Just do it out in the lobby. So it'll be a few more minutes if you want to do that. And at the same time, you are Right, you'll be free to be dismissed. Let me just pray a blessing over you and send you on your way this week. And so, Jesus, would you grant us a pure heart? God, would you initiate it in the only way that you can, which I believe you're doing. Would you grant us a pure heart? And God, in, in that purity, would you give us supernatural courage to place our trust and our faith in you, Jesus, and how we serve you this week, and how we trust you this week. So, God, would you grant us the wisdom to know how to follow you, and then the courage to do so. And, God, would you grant us safety, and would you get everyone home safe in this room. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Be blessed. See you soon. you
So oh. 